morning, everybody. How are you? Peachy, right? Doing great. Thank you, wherever that came from. Um, so how many people like Christmas music before Thanksgiving? How many can't stand Christmas music before? Period. Just kidding. Somebody, they're like that, sorry. Um, so, Bradley, I'm going to need a mic. The uh, handheld is, the battery's dead on that. So, just whenever you get a sec. So, um, Christmas Eve, I want you to know ahead of time that we are going to have a Christmas Eve service here at Novation on Monday, Christmas Eve at 5 o'clock. So, hey, clap for that. We're going to have our regular service the day before on the 23rd, which is uh, Christmas Adam. Christmas. Been hanging out with Brian a lot. Um, let's pray and we'll, uh, we'll get started. Father, uh, we're so grateful for your love. Lord, there are burdens in this room. There are needs, there is pain, grief, difficulties, joys, and happiness too, Lord. So um, we as the body of Christ just together say we love you, we want to hear from you, we want to know your truth, know you more, God, and make you known in this world. Thank you that death was arrested, Lord. I pray for anyone in this room that has not experienced uh, the new birth, the new life that we have in Christ, that today would be that time where you open hearts to believe the gospel and to have that new life. And Lord, for all of us in here, build our faith through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, if you read the Bible at all, you realize that God uses unlikely people all the time. Uh, you go back to Abraham, to Moses, at men's breakfast, we were talking about this yesterday, how much God uses unlikely people to do magnificent things for him, because it's his power working in and through people. And the Apostle Paul is, to me, like one of the most amazing, you know, maybe the second most important person, obviously, outside of Jesus, because of what God used him to do in his calling to spread the gospel to the world. Paul was a persecutor of the church. He thought he was doing God a favor by killing Christians, trying to stomp out this new uh, religion called the way or Christianity. And yet, Paul, we see in Acts chapter 9, we see Paul is on a horse with some other guys headed to go persecute the church. And Jesus appears to him. He falls off his horse. He sees a, a great light and Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Jesus identifying with his church. And Jesus says, I'm going to use you to take this message of the, of the gospel to the ends of the earth. I'm choosing you, the most unlikely person, the one who's been persecuting me, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I often feel unlikely, and I'm, maybe you do too. God wants to use us to bring the truth of the good news to the world, wherever we're at. We're in a series called I'm Convinced, and the, the series kind of was just birthed out of my own personal Bible reading, 
And uh, I was reading and I found in, in Romans 8 where Paul says, I'm convinced that nothing can separate me from the love of God that's found in Christ. So I started looking for different places in the New Testament where Paul said he was convinced about something. And so that's where this series has kind of, uh, you know, been birthed from. And I've been excited about what God's doing because there's different angles of things we need to be convinced of. And if Paul, who God used the way he did, was convinced of something, we need to be convinced of something. As you see, the title today is I'm convinced I'm not crazy. Now, my family might not feel that way, but I know I'm not crazy. And you're going to you're going to follow along with me this morning. In Acts chapter 26, uh, Paul has, is coming a little towards the end of his missions work, and he's arrested, and he's going on trial before uh, Jewish courts, Roman courts for preaching the gospel. Think about that. He was on trial. And in Acts chapter 26, he's before Festus and King Agrippa and King Agrippa's sister, Bernice. And they just wanted to hear his story, his testimony. What a great opportunity God gave for him to stand before a king and share about the the mercy and grace of Jesus. And so Paul tells his testimony. He tells what God has, has been doing. And as he's saying this, as we pick it up in verse 24, before Paul finished defending himself, Festus shouted, Paul, you're crazy. Too much learning has driven you out of your mind. But Paul replied, Honorable Festus, I am not crazy. What I'm saying is true and it makes sense. The king is familiar with these things and I can speak freely to him. Here we go. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Here's Paul persuading right there. Then King Agrippa said to Paul, You almost persuade or convince me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. How about you? Are you crazy for believing in Jesus? Are you crazy for believing in a guy you've never seen before? Are you crazy for believing in something you read in the Bible, something somebody told you? Are you crazy for believing in him and and following him and building your life on him? Maybe today you're thinking, I don't know. I don't know if this is is true or real or, or whatever, but I believe what God wants to do over the next few minutes that we have together is God wants to build the faith of those in this room that are, have already said, yes, I believe and am following in Jesus. That's going to happen for some of you today. And the other person or people that God wants to do a work in is he wants to move those that are kind of indifferent or neutral towards Jesus to be an all-in and becoming a believer and a follower of him. Sound good? All right. How do we know we're not crazy for believing in and following Jesus? I think there's two two questions that we should ask ourselves. And these two questions are going to be basically the crux of of the message this morning. How do we know that we're not crazy? And here are two questions that you should ask yourself. First of all, is what I am believing true and reasonable? Is it true and reasonable for you and I to believe in Jesus and to follow him? 
and to organize our life around him and his teaching, our, how we spend our money, how we spend our, our relationships, everything to do with our life. Are, are we crazy for that, or is it true and reasonable? I want to bring in a few uh, witnesses this morning to kind of testify to the reasonableness of being a follower of Jesus and the trueness of the gospel. Several of them here, but first of all, the testimony of the disciples. The disciples themselves were transformed by Jesus, both the three years that they walked with him, but then what happened afterwards. If you read the Gospels at all, you see that, you know, the disciples talked a big talk, but they didn't fully understand what Jesus was really about until after the resurrection. Peter, on the night that Jesus was, was betrayed, he talks a big talk and says, no matter what happens, Jesus, I'm with you and, and I'll fight to the death for you. And Jesus told him he was going to deny him three times. And that night, he denied him three times. And uh, so he went to this guy that was big talk to whimpered at a, at a little girl who questioned whether he was, you know, with Jesus or not. Or he didn't even know him. And he lied. But after he saw Jesus die on the cross, buried and rise again, Peter was the same guy who was willing truly to be beaten, to be crucified upside down because he preached the gospel. He preached that Jesus had really rose from the dead. The transformation of the disciples. The others who saw Jesus, the others who saw Jesus were women. The very first people to witness the resurrection were women. And if, if people were making up a story that they wanted to have credibility, in a court of law, women couldn't testify. So you wouldn't appear first to, to someone that can't even give testimony in a court of law. But that's always been profound to me that, that the Lord didn't care. And so it was ladies that saw him first. The evidence. I mean, I'm giving you a 30,000-foot drive-by here. Back in uh, at Easter last year and therein, we did a whole series on the resurrection called Risen, 1 Corinthians 15, if you want to go back on some of this. But the evidence of the prophecy of Jesus in the Old Testament, his death and resurrection. A one-ton stone was rolled away. I mean, there's, there's no way somebody just moved that by himself, you know, people, the, the grave clothes, so on and so forth. The Apostle Paul is one of the greatest witnesses. We already touched on that. The early church, history. Know this, that if somebody ever challenges the resurrection of Jesus or that he was some made-up person, there's so much extra-biblical, historical, and archaeological evidence uh, uh, surrounding Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. One of the neat parts of, of 1 Corinthians 15 is Paul basically recites an early creed that would have been sort of an oral tradition that they began to memorize uh, the gospel, that, that Jesus died for our sins, he was buried, he rose again, and was seen by, by many. Died, buried, rose, seen by many. And so he, when he would go, they didn't, he didn't have the New Testament to open up. He was living the, the gospel, and he would share with them exactly that. Jesus lived, died, was buried, rose again, and has been seen by others, is now seated at the right hand of the Father. I want to read this to you. What he says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you're saved 
if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, here's this creed, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter. Peter changed his name from Cephas to Peter, Jesus did. And then to the 12, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. Those were eyewitnesses that were still eyewitnessing what was happening, though many have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as one who had been abnormally born. Is what you and I believe true and reasonable? Is what Paul was saying true and reasonable? How does that affect you and I today? Here's where I want to build your faith. Uh, Often there's an objection to Christianity. You just do any Google search or go on YouTube, you'll find tons of objections that you are nuts to believe in, in this. And that people come up with, well, Jesus was made up, the gospel was made up, uh, Christianity didn't really get started till 300 years later, and all these legends, and it, blah, 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 blah. And it's hogwash. It, it, people do not know what they're saying when they talk like that. And I want to just give you uh, uh, something powerful to build your faith in what you're believing in and that you're not crazy. The objection that Christianity started later um, is a crazy thing for someone to believe because all scholars believe that Paul was a real person. And all scholars believe that Paul was very influential to the early church and to Christianity. And if you Look at the New Testament. He wrote 13 letters of the New Testament. He, we got our New Testament from people writing to each other and encouraging, and that's how doctrine came about in the New Testament. Paul is accredited for 13 letters. Now, when Paul wrote these letters, it was about in the 50, 50s and 60s AD, right? So about 50 years after the birth of Christ. Now, if you think of an imaginary timeline with me, starting over here, 30 A.D. was when Jesus was crucified, and when he died, and three days later, rose again. Within seven years, or or less, in Acts chapter 4, you have Peter and John testifying to the people who crucified Jesus. You crucified him, but God raised him from the grave, and that's who we preached. They had healed a guy and prayed over a guy, and they said, by the name of the one you crucified, who God raised from the dead... Is how this guy is healed. He says there's no other name by anybody can be saved. So by 44 AD was the first missions of Paul in being sent out to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. This letter that I just read from in 1 Corinthians, uh, not the letter, but the, the, the planting of the church at Corinth, forgive me, happened in 52 AD. Just stay with me on this. This is fascinating. 52 AD, Paul goes to Corinth, a town, town still today in modern-day Greece, and he goes and he preaches the gospel. And many people come to Christ, and a church has started there. We actually have a second letter, and possibly there was a third letter that was written to the church of Corinth. So this letter that I just read from was written in 55 AD. Jesus died in 30 AD by by. You know, 20 to 25 years later, you have this recollection of the the life, death, burial, 
resurrection of Jesus and that there was eyewitnesses to that. How could anybody ever say that that was a legend? That that somehow there was, you know, started over years and years and years. My daughter just turned 20 last Monday. Happy birthday, Chandler, again. You can say happy birthday to her. She's in here. Um, I remember the day she was born like it was yesterday. I could tell you what happened. She was born at 11.03 a.m. at Swedish Hospital. Like, I could tell you details about it. So how does something become legend and myth if it was just within 20 to 25 years later, it was actually written down what people had already been talking about? It just doesn't work like that. I want that to build your faith today that you're not crazy for believing in and following Jesus Christ. And that he really lived, died, and rose again, and he's ascended to the Father, and he's coming back again. And we need to keep waiting anxiously for that day. A couple more uh, witnesses to, to bring in here this morning. The testimony and honesty of the Bible. Peter, in his second letter, equates Paul's letters as scripture, as sacred writings inspired by God in that verse that I gave you there 2 Peter 3.16. The Bible itself just has this dynamic thread of pointing to Jesus. And when you find it and you you realize like the honesty of the failures of the disciples, the failures of the early church and how things were just, it was, people just don't make something like that up. There's too much beyond that. Then the continuation of the church. Jesus said in Matthew 16.18 that, uh, He was going to build his church and the gates of hell would never prevail against it. Christianity has grown from day one. And though there is somewhat of a decline in the West, there in in Asia and the East and Africa, the church is blowing up. Christianity is, is, is blowing up all over the world. Then there's the testimony of changed lives. The Bible says that if any man or woman be in Christ... They're a new creation. The old has passed away. All things have been made new. If you look around this room this morning, the person's next to you, that's not just a name. That's a story. You're not a name. You're a story of how God has been working in your life. And you're a, you have a story that God wants to share with other people within this, this church. Each one of us represents that. And that one of the greatest witnesses beyond the physical, factual evidence about Jesus' death and resurrection is that he changed my life, he's changed others' life. I asked Steve Craig, wherever you're at, Steve, to to come up here this morning and just, I want Steve, I'm going to have him share just a bit. Hey, look at you. Just to, to share a little bit about how God worked in your life. You know, we were talking, I've known Steve for, for a long time, actually, and, um, as we were, as I was putting this together, he popped into my head as somebody that you just need to be encouraged that God is, is moving and maybe you can relate a little bit to his story. But when you think of your testimony and how Jesus changed your life, how you were, became convinced, um, what was kind of the backstory before you met Jesus? Well, I was brought up in a household going back all the way to my childhood and early high school years. Um, I think I've heard you say it, describe it kind of as a CEO family. I guess that's kind of what we were. We were went to church uh, uh, Christmas and Easter. Um, Christmas, Easter only. Yeah, Christmas, Easter only. 
Um, you know, not a not a lot of of Bible was in my life. You know, uh, uh, through through uh, through high school, um, I brought this uh, old Bible up here this morning. In fact, I actually my dad's here this morning. And I asked him when I got here this morning. I asked him if he recognized that, and he recognized it right away. It's a uh, it's uh, his old Bible. It was actually given to him uh, in 1957. And how I came across it was, and I've shared this with you before, uh, my high school years were probably my first introduction to, to any real formal uh, uh, church setting was uh, a youth group that I attended. It uh, was an outreach uh, church in uh, Aurora, Colorado, where uh, it, uh, the draw was basketball. You know, a bunch of us, I had a friend, his name was Mike, first took me there, and he, he said, you got to come to this. You know, it's great fun. Sunday nights, we play basketball all night. Um, but the catch is, you got to come and uh, sit through a Bible study. So, And I remember going to the Bible study, and uh, the pastor said, you know, don't come back without a Bible. So this Bible was on a shelf in our house, and I remember pulling it off and sticking it in my gym bag. Not quite sure I ever even opened this Bible up, but uh, it was in my gym you bag. You showed it to him, he knew. Yeah, he knew. I said, I'm here, Pastor. You know, and it, uh, I think I shared with you, um, I don't remember anything specifically about some of the messages that 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 pastor shared in that Bible study, but I think they stuck. I think they were little pieces, uh, God building my, you know, my faith wall, little piece at a time. What were some of the steps from there to got you to be convinced Christ was real and the gospel was real? Well, after graduated high school, um, my life continued somewhat the same for a couple of years. Uh, lived at home, went to went to the University of Colorado at Denver, stayed at home, and kind of kind of life was kind of the same. It really really changed for me uh, when I moved away. Uh, went to school up in Boulder for for three years. Um, I think I was very straight and narrow as a high school and, and a young a young person up through high school. Uh, college was a little different. You know, I don't think we need to get into that, but yeah, yep, definitely uh, tested the boundaries then. Um, when I graduated uh, graduated from Col- University of Colorado, I uh, got a job with Sears and uh, moved to, uh, to Dallas, Dallas, Texas. And I think that was my first time being away from friends, from family, and I think a real loneliness sat in. And I think that's what really... It's what made me question what's out there. What am I missing? And I've shared with you where I lived at in Texas. Uh, you know, I don't need to get into a lot of details. Like I said, I mean, the main point was that it was a very lonely time for me. There was a church that was uh, just down the street from where I, where I lived. And I was in Dallas probably for just out a year. And probably for 50 weeks, I saw that church. And I was like, I should go to that church. I should go see what church is all about. And finally, right before I left, uh, left Dallas and moved on, and we'll share a little bit more about that story as we go here, but I went into that, uh, I went into that church uh, sheepishly, snuck in the back, sat and listened to a message, and at the, end of, uh, at the end of the service, the pastor says, lower your head and let's pray, and if you've never asked Jesus into your heart, now's the time to do it. And said, pray this prayer with me. And, of course, he prayed the, prayed the prayer, asked Jesus to come into my life to be my Savior. You know, and he said, and you raise your hand if this is your first time. And, you know, I'm raising my hand, and I feel like it's up forever. <laughs> I really did. And then, you know, and I hear, a, I hear a yes, son. I see you. 
I see and, that uh, hand. Yes, I see that hand, and uh, boy, what a rush. So, uh, Are you crazy for believing in Jesus and following him? What's it been like since then? No, absolutely not crazy, and uh, um, I mean, who knows? Who knows? And can and can uh, can agree that you know, once you accept Jesus into your heart, then all your problems are gone, right? Oh no, yeah, yeah, no, no. And for me, it was one day. I went to work on a on a Monday and uh, had a bad day, and I began to wonder if uh, did Jesus see me raise my hand? Was this real? And uh, and that's where this comes in. You know, it was, uh, it's an old King James Bible, and I remember uh, knowing that a place that I should probably start reading, that I had any chance of hoping to understand in the gospel on my own, was uh, was the Gospels. So I remember opening up and reading, reading through Matthew, and uh, it came up on this verse, Matthew 6, 6, and I'll read it like I read it then. It was, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into the closet, and when then thou shut the door, pray to the Father which in secret, and with the Father sees in secret, shall reward, reward thee openly. Um, and that was my aha moment right there. Um, Jesus came to me and said, yes, that was real. Hmm. And what you, uh, what you committed to isn't about anybody else but you and me. And, uh, and that's when I knew I wasn't crazy. That's cool. Yeah. What, uh, you know, you've had some tough times in your life. How has, I have. you know. Yeah, I have had some tough times. Um, you know, and things began to move very rapidly. And, you know, that same night, honestly, um, it just was put in my heart that God, could, you know, he expected a few things from me. He expected me to not feel sorry for myself and to, to enjoy life. He wanted me to communicate with him and pray with him. You know, good times, bad times, come to him as my father, come to him as my savior, ask for forgiveness. And, uh, and he wanted me to let him be in control. You know, and amazingly enough, and it was years later, as a more established Christian, you know, that's a verse in the Bible. First, Thess First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 17 says, Rejoice always, pray continuously. And, uh, and um, accept, accept my will because that is where I want you in Christ Jesus. So I went into life like that, and then things moved very quickly. Uh, you know, like I said, that was a Sunday that I went to church, raised my hand, accepted Jesus into my heart. That Monday, I think some of the, the sadness for me on that Monday was I was, I was told that I was moving to uh, Spokane, Washington. <laughs> It wasn't necessarily my hopes for where I was going to go to as a, as a trainer, but anybody who knows me, um, I won't go into a lot of details, but Spokane, Washington was probably the best place I've ever been. Uh, I met my wife, Andrea, there, and uh, she was uh, an established Christian, and she really helped me along. Uh, I remember her laughing at me over the whole uh, King James Bible. She bought me my first study Bible. Uh, her family uh, took me in, and uh, that's really where I really started to uh, meet the Lord, how he wants us to meet us with the church family. And you kind of allude to other things. I mean, yeah, we, uh, you know, we went on to Chicago and, and as a couple experienced some lonely times. I mean, it was, it was good times. Uh, we actually attended uh, Willow Creek in Schaumburg. That's actually where we lived, so we went there for a little while. That was a, 
a growing period for us. Uh, starting a family wasn't, uh, didn't happen like we thought it would. We actually moved back to Denver, and uh, I went to work with my dad. Um, my plan was always to uh, come back and work for him for a little while and find another job, and God always laughs at our plans, right? 20, years, right. 20 25 years later, I now own my dad's company, and I bought it from him. So um, we wanted to uh, start a family, right, when we moved back, which I think was in 97. It didn't work out that way. We had our daughter, Sydney, in 2002, so... Went through some, through some really dark times in that four or five years. Uh, we actually thought we were done having kids, and then uh, in 2006 had our son Carson. So it's all just been about uh, a relationship with, with God um, and accepting his will. What I appreciate about your testimony is that there's not a ton of drama. No. Like sometimes we think there has to be, ooh, drama around everything, you know, and, I was in the gutter, and that's when God found me. But it's just a simple change life. Thanks for sharing that with us this morning. Yeah, it is a simple change life, and I and I would encourage anybody who has that. Um, and, and I told you this before. It uh, um, it seems boring, but uh, you know, I look back 25, 26 years later, and I can see how He's placed those placed those bricks and and grown my faith. And uh, yeah, I'm not crazy. So awesome, awesome. Thanks. The last thing I would say on this, is your faith true and reasonable? Is what you believe and follow true and reasonable? Let me just give you a quick rundown. Who or what can offer what Jesus offers? Steve just shared this. Who or what can offer eternal life? Only Jesus can offer eternal life. Who or what can offer everlasting hope? Only Jesus can offer everlasting hope. In Hebrews 6.19, it says that he's the the, this hope that we have is the anchor for our soul. That when tough times come, you go through difficulties, you need hope. Real peace. Who can offer real peace? We live in a very chaotic world. And Jesus said he would give us his peace. Peace not as the world gives, but his peace. Joy, real joy. Who else can offer real joy? Everything else Every person, every situation can be taken away. He can't be taken away. And then real purpose, a real purpose to our life. Philippians 1.21 says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To know your purpose in life and to know Jesus is to know. To live is Christ, to die is gain. I was thinking about the disciples willing to lay down their life um, for the gospel. Now, we don't have never really experienced that before. Um, I was reading about uh, African Inland Missions and how it was started. Rusty was playing the bass up here, and Kristen, his wife, they were part of uh, that for a few years. And um, African Inland Missions was started by a guy named Peter Cameron Scott. And it goes traced back to him. And he was trained as a missionary. He was supposed to be this great singer, had this potentially great career. And he felt a nudge from God to, to go to Africa and bring the gospel. And so he brought his brother along with him. And they used to call the place in Africa where they would go the white man's graveyard because of the, the conditions and the disease and all of that. People would get sick and die. And so when they were on their first mission, his brother died. And so he had to build a coffin from scratch and bury his brother there in Africa. And as he, that happened to him, he made a new commitment to the Lord and said, I'm in. Well, a few weeks 
a few months went by, and he got sick, and he had to go back home, and he went back home via England. And in England, he recruits more missionaries. He comes to America, would recruit more missionaries, and they went back to finish their job. And in this time, the people knew that they were heading into dangerous situations. And they actually would pack their belongings that they were taking on their mission in a coffin. They would pack their stuff in their own coffin because they knew they probably weren't coming home. Were they crazy? Were they crazy or had they built their life on that which was true and reasonable? I say yes. All right, let me switch gears here real quick. Another question to ask ourselves if we're crazy for following Jesus, I would ask this question, who really are the crazy ones according to Jesus? Who were the fools? Who is foolish? If a guy can predict his death and resurrection and pull it off, I'm going to go with whatever he says, right? Jesus told this to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What good will it be for someone to gain the riches and things of this life and yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels and he will reward each person according to what they have done. The one willing to forfeit their soul is the foolish, crazy person. You and I are not crazy for, for following and believing in Jesus. I remember being on the fence before I actually became a Christian. I was on the fence, tried to be indifferent towards Jesus, take him or leave him. That's what a lot of people try to do. Oh, yeah, that's cool. But when you look at Jesus' words, he didn't leave a whole lot of room for that. The one who's crazy according to Jesus, you can write this down, the one who trusts in riches, the one who puts their hope in riches according to Jesus, they're the crazy ones. Those of us who give away all that we have and are generous and see ourselves as stewards, he says, we got it. We got this, this one figured out. No one can serve two masters. You can't serve God and money, God and riches. You'll serve one or the other, Jesus said. And then another one is this, the one who trusts in their own goodness. That person is crazy according to Jesus. And, he, and when Jesus, if we could be good enough to go to heaven, if we could be good enough to be right with God, then why did Jesus come and die? And the Galatians says that. If righteousness could be attained by being good or keeping the law, then Jesus died in vain. And yet, most people who don't believe or have not had this encounter with Jesus haven't felt the weight of their own sin, the, the weight of a separation from God. Usually, if you say, if you died, would you go to heaven? Oh, yeah, I'd go to heaven. Why? Well, I've been a pretty good person. It's because we compare ourselves with other people, Hitler or whoever else. But God's standard is perfection. His standard is perfection God is perfect, therefore heaven is perfect. There's no sin. There's no, it's not, you know, it's 100% righteous, holy. 
And, and the question we have to ask ourselves to really understand the gospel sometimes is, do I have to be perfect to go to heaven? You do. But it's not your perfection that gets you into heaven. It's the perfection of Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life. He died a brutal death and rose again so that we could be made perfect. We could be made good. We could be made righteous before him so that we could go to heaven. Jesus said in Matthew seven thirteen, he said, narrow is the way to the kingdom of God. Few find it. And that narrow way is not trusting in our own goodness, but trusting in his goodness for us. And then lastly, who's foolish or crazy? And this is, this is where I want, I think God wants to speak to our hearts this morning. The one who is almost a Christian. When Paul was before Agrippa, Agrippa said, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. And I want to tell you something. Jesus is the most loving, merciful, compassionate, willing to forgive the worst of things. He has. He forgave me, Paul. But he doesn't leave room for neutrality concerning him. He doesn't leave room for indifference in following him. You're either in or you're not. There's no almost Christians when it comes to Jesus. So when you think about this, I heard somebody put it this way one time, and I like this, that when we stand before the Lord, he's going to ask us per se, like, what did you do with my son Jesus? And how we answer that question determines where we will spend eternity. Did I believe and trust in him and follow him? Or did I say, no, I, I got this? Or go some other way? That's going to determine where we spend eternity. The other question will be, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with what I put in your hands, the resources, the time, talent, treasure that I gave you? That's going to determine our answer to that. God's examination of that will determine what we will do in eternity. Because Jesus promises to reward faithfulness. And faithfulness doesn't mean you go to the mission field per se or that you do all the, it's, were you faithful to the little things? Were you faithful to the people in your life? Were you faithful to do what he asked you to do? There is a reward for that in, in, in eternity. In Revelations chapter 3, um, Jesus gives a message to different churches uh, in, in the, the seven letters to the churches. And one of the churches was the church of Laodicea. And in the church of Laodicea, Jesus gives a pretty strong word to them. And he says, I wish that you were either hot or cold, but since you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Now, that's one of the most misunderstood verses in all of the Bible, in my opinion. I bet you many of you are going cringing that you even heard this verse about being lukewarm because am I lukewarm or not? And you maybe heard it in a different context, but to, to understand hot, cold, and lukewarm, you have to understand the typography of the land, of the churches that were being spoken to. Um, Laodicea was six miles south of a, of a town called Heropolis, and Heropolis was known for its hot springs. You know, we go to Idaho Springs or wherever, the mineral water, the hot springs, and it, it, they were known for the, the healing water of, of the hot, hot springs of Heropolis. And so Laodicea was d 
down the plateau, so to speak. And so when that water, hot water would flow over a period of time, it would become lukewarm and stagnant and all those minerals and just gross. And they knew not to, to drink that water. If they did, they would get sick. So Jesus, when he talks about being hot or cold, they're actually both positive. Jesus is not saying it's better to be cold than to be lukewarm. He doesn't want someone to not believe. To be cold, the, the, the typography illustration was the waters of Colossae. And in Colossae, they had flowing rivers of, of water that people could go drink from and be refreshed. So both being hot was useful for healing, and being cold was good, useful for being refreshing. Lukewarm was just indifferent, and it was useless. It was stagnant. And so to be lukewarm is to look at our lives and just be indifferent towards Jesus. You can't quench thirst by almost drinking, right? You have to actually, because I was thirsty, drink. You can't satisfy hunger by almost eating. You have to actually eat. Nor can you and I be saved, nor can you and I have real life by being almost Christian. You're either in or you're not. Now, hear me on this. When you have that decision point like Steve had, and I have a point in my life where I knew I was in, does not mean life is perfect from there and you're not going to fail or go through ups and downs. Please forget that. But has there been a point in your life where you said, I'm in? Lord, I don't get this, everything. I don't, I don't have an understanding of everything, I don't, but I want to follow you. I believe you're who you say you are. You're not crazy for believing and following in Jesus. It's the greatest decision anyone can ever make. And I don't want to be almost Christian in any part of my life. I want to be all in in every part of my life. And I believe God, a, a challenge to us is to look at our life. Am I almost Christian or am I really in? And you, he says, come to me with all of your flaws, all of your brokenness, all of your imperfections. He'll do the cleaning up. He'll do the changing. What he wants is our heart. And he wants us to say yes to, to him and to follow him. We stand with me. I want to pray. And I want to I want to pray two different prayers as we bring this to a head. Number one, I want to pray first with those in this room that are not sure whether you're Christian. Maybe you that part that saying of almost Christian has spoke to your heart. Today's the day to just say, "Yeah, I want to be all in." I want to be all in. I'm not going to hold back anymore. I'm not going to be halfway. I'm going to be all in with you, Jesus. If that's you today, I want to pray for you. And as we pray together, just allow the Lord to lead your heart. And maybe it's today, it's just saying, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to put my faith in you put my hope in you today. Forgive me of my sins. I trust the cross to forgive me of my sins. I trust in you to lead and guide me. Lord, I don't want to be almost Christian. I want to be in. Be the Lord of my life. Be the Savior of my life. I want to build my life on you. 
that's you today and you're, you're there, we're here as a church to help you. We've all been there. I was on the fence for many years. And if that decision has happened today to say yes to Jesus, then when we close, I want you to come forward and talk with somebody. Let someone know because we want to help you grow. We want you to know that you're not alone. For the rest of us in this room, Heavenly Father, we pray for all of us. Lord, we know we're not crazy. Lord, we know we live in a lost and broken world where people need you. God, move our hearts with what moves you. Lord, help us to walk in faithful lives knowing that what we're believing in is true and reasonable. Empower us to love people. Empower us to, God, see people the way you do. And not get so caught up in the daily grind in our own little world that we don't see your activity outside of our lives. Grow us as individuals Grow us as a church family. In Jesus' name, amen.